Ministry Mentorship, Episode 46. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministry. In this episode, we're going to be talking with Pastor Raymond Woodward, and I know that you're going to really enjoy this, uh, one of the greatest teachers and preachers in the apostolic movement today. And before we get started with uh, today's interview, I just want to let you know that uh, we are on iTunes, and if you haven't subscribed yet, uh, you can go to our podcast page, and we have a link to the iTunes at the top of the page. Uh, another thing I want to mention is that our posts uh, are categorized, and at the bottom of each post, you can uh, find the categories that we've, we've done. We usually do four or five uh, for each uh, post that we, we make. And uh, if you click on one of those, uh, it will bring up all of the other posts uh, that have similar uh, categories. So uh, just a little quick ministry mentorship tip uh, to help you as you're going through the podcast and the posts. In this interview, we're going to be talking with Pastor Raymond Woodward. Uh, Brother Woodward has been greatly used by God in the ministry of teaching and preaching the truth all over the world. Uh, he believes in young ministers, and he was kind enough to sit down with me uh, after preaching a day session at our Illinois camp meeting. And I know that this interview is going to challenge and encourage you, and, and I hope that you'll pass this along to somebody that you feel could benefit from this discussion. I will also have any recommended resources in the show notes of this podcast uh, that you can access by going to ministrymentorship.com backslash podcast and uh, look for show 46. Uh, let's join the conversation now. We're here today with uh, Pastor Raymond Woodward. He is the pastor of the Capital Community Church in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and he has been in ministry for uh, 30 years, and we're just thankful to be speaking with him today. Uh, Brother Woodward, thank you for, for taking the time to do this. My privilege. Great to be here. Uh, tell us a little bit of your story. Uh, I grew up in a Pentecostal home. My mom and dad uh, weren't in ministry, uh, but they were great saints, great lay people. And uh, my heritage, I'm a third generation Pentecostal. My great uncle got a revelation of apostolic truth. In fact, after he received the Holy Ghost, he saw baptism in Jesus' name all by himself and, and uh, got that revelation. And he taught my dad, who was the only member of his family, to really be interested in, in his crazy uncle and, and his crazy doctrine. And so, uh, so that's how we got in the church. Um, so I grew up in church. I got the Holy Ghost and was baptized when I was 12 and uh, went off to Bible school really felt like I gave up a career in in teaching. I was I, a scholarship. I had scholarship to go to university, was going to do my education degree, and really came to a point where I really laid that down and said, okay, God, I'll go to Bible school, uh, and, and really considered that quite a sacrifice at, at the time. And uh, life has a way of doing this to you. But 30 years later, uh, I've had the honor and the privilege of teaching in just a bunch of different countries and wow. and states and provinces and and it's like God gives you your dream back times ten. Hmm. Uh, the only other thing about my story was I spent probably the close to the first twenty years of my life. I did teach at our district Bible college in New Brunswick for a, a few years, 
probably about a decade part-time and then a few years full-time. But I was an assistant pastor for almost the first 20 years of my ministry. And uh, I really feel like that formed a lot of ideas in me. I learned some great things uh, to do, and I learned some great things not to do, probably, as everybody does. But uh, that really formulated who uh, I am today. I, I still think in terms of how do we do this as a team. That's a mm -hmm. big part of, of uh, who I am and, and what I'm about. Um, and so I've been, I've been senior pastor since 2001, uh, back in Fredericton, and now we're in the middle of a succession um, to Pastor Jack Lehman, um, and uh, that's a long ramp and a long runway, but I'm really glad in light of some of my more recent responsibilities that we're doing that. So that's, in a nutshell, kind of a, mm -hmm. a, a big nutshell. But That's awesome. And, and you know, this, this podcast is, is geared mainly towards uh, young ministers, between the ages of 18 to 30, that's men and women. Uh, and so, you know, that that background, uh, a lot of the people that are listening to this are are in that, I wouldn't say transitional stage, but I would say they're in a, in a support mm -hmm. stage. Yep. So they're supporting their pastor, they're working in the local church, uh, and and also feeling that, that, you know, pull towards ministry and being involved. So talk a little bit about how uh, how you first got started. I mean, what was the first, you know, you went to Bible school. Uh, were you already doing things? You involved? What, what would you consider that okay, first cool. step that, that you took in ministry? Uh, before I went to Bible school, as a teenager, uh, I had a good pastor that <clears throat> we had a great, vibrant youth group, and I was involved in that, um, and had a couple of opportunities uh, just in a very casual setting, to speak. And uh, like I'm sure has happened to a lot of your podcast listeners, um, people would keep coming up and saying, uh, you know, very positive, affirming, encouraging things. But it was more than that. It was too too often to just kind of say, that's random. Uh, you know, you, you really need to do that, or you really need to apply yourself to that, or, or whatever, because because uh, God really moved when you talked. And, and that's as a, a middle teenager, you know, maybe 16 or whatever. And, and the same thing at the same time, and why I almost got crossways of it, my dad was in education. He was a high school principal. My sister is still a department head at, at the high school in, in our city. Uh, my daughter has her education degree. That's where I was headed because the same thing was happening in, um, in school. I'd have, like, homeroom teachers <laughs> asked me to fill in and, and teach homeroom, you know, and, uh, and I would do it. It was kind of weird. Thinking back, I was kind of a geek, but, but, uh, but it was happening simultaneously in both spheres. And so I almost got crossways and almost headed to education, and it wasn't because of any pressure from my family. I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was involvement in my local church. And, and, from, and, and really, ministry for me did not grow at a Bible school. In fact, uh, I, I love our Bible schools, but really, uh, I, I had to um, learn much of anything that I do after Bible school. I had to relearn some stuff uh, after Bible school. Uh, so it's not a slam against Bible school, but really, ministry for me started before Bible school, and I don't think it was because of Bible school. It was always because whatever I could find to do in my local church, I just did it. I, and it wasn't trying to get into ministry. 
Uh, and I, th I think one of the difficulties we have today is maybe uh, because of media, uh, social media, whatever, we almost have a celebrity preacher phenomenon mm -hmm. where young men and young women can look at pastors and preachers who are very well known because now everybody can watch everybody on the internet. And it's like they start out striving to be that. And I don't think that's a healthy uh, motive for ministry. I started out in ministry as, as everybody that I know in ministry uh, in my generation started out just trying to do everything in the local church. Mm -hmm. And that grew into becoming an assistant pastor eventually. Um, I was doing that while I was in Bible school. <clears throat> and then... Um, Eventually, it was kind of like God kicked me upstream to senior pastor, and I was kind of a little bent out of shape about that for a while because I thought I'd made a really, really good assistant pastor. Um, I, I don't want to take too long on this one point, but, but we were looking at, in our district, this has been a few years back, three different young pastors that had just totally messed up a church that they, they had taken. They'd taken over from an elder, and they were pastoring, and it wasn't moral or doctrinal, but they just really, really messed it up. And so Jack, my associate pastor, and I, we were sitting chatting one day, and, and he said something that was just so profound to me. He said, uh, none of those men ever assisted anybody. Hmm. And it was just like, pow, that's exactly wow. it. Uh, they just stepped into that lead role immediately, and as a result, they just didn't know how to negotiate people, uh, which you learn by assistant. So I think that middle stage, or what you referred to as, it can feel like a transition stage. Mm -hmm. uh, it certainly is a supportive role, but second man is not second class. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's a very important stage of ministry, and, and I really love that stage of ministry. Mm -hmm. I, I've shared this before when I teach or, or talk to young ministers about these mountaintop experiences. You know, when you're young... You know, I was 14, 15 when I felt the call to preach, and, and I preached my first sermon. I think I was 14. But I, I, I had visions, you know, and I knew mm -hmm. I was going to be, you know, pastoring this mega church, and I'm going to be <laughs> doing all this stuff. But I never took the time to look sideways. Exactly. And see the valley, you know, how long that's going to be wow. between those mountain peaks. And, and when you think about it, I mean, you know, say I live till I'm 90. I mean, there could be... You know, this first 30 years is just getting started. Yeah. You know, and it's hard to, you know, and you talk about your 20 years in, in, as an assistant pastor. I mean, did you ever think, you know, well, when I get to be this or this or how, what was your take on that? No. That, and that's the weird thing. It, <laughs> never, it never really crossed my mind until the very end. Uh, and then, you know, you're starting to feel the restlessness of something else is coming and but until that last even my goodness it might have been the last year out of that 20 years other than that I never gave it a second thought I was happy doing what I was doing and really fulfilled uh, doing what I was doing and I really like the background role it's kind of my personality I like to get behind somebody and and push uh, what they're doing and help them make that happen and um What's, what's very um, rewarding for me now is, um, you know, working with Pastor Jack, he's done for me in such a major way uh, what I tried to do for other pastors that I assisted. And he's uh, just so uh, kind and, and, and loyal and, and just, you know, he, he just covers the basis for me in so many ways. 
and now to watch uh, it, it, with us, it happens to be my son Matthew, who's now assisting him at the church at home, um, and it's really, really rewarding to watch that progression. When Matt came on for our youth ministry, uh, I sat down with him and said, you know, Matt, you're not going to be assisting your dad. You're going to be assisting Pastor Jack. But if you make him happy, you've made me happy. If you make him proud, you've made me proud. Because uh, to me, that's the progression of ministry. It's a joy to watch people uh, come up through that. And, and I, I see sometimes the breakdown of that. And with our culture that doesn't value elders, doesn't value heritage, I'm not talking about the church, just culture in general. Uh, with that, we have sometimes this breakdown in uh, the, 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 what, what they refer to as, well, the chain of command or paying your dues, as though that's a bad thing, uh, but, but, you know, what do you compare it to? It, it's like putting a, a kid in the deep end of a pool when they've never even seen water before, you know. Mm -hmm. it, there, there's value in, in doing that. Um, you know, you said something a minute ago about 90 years. There's a, a word in Daniel, uh, the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. It's not that all these young men and women, that they see these visions or they, you know, I've talked to people that saw a crowd, a crusade crowd that they were preaching to, and, and it just dawned on them. Um, oh my goodness, I saw this when I was 15 in a vision or in a dream. And it's, you know, they're, they're 58 or 62. It, it was true. But God's time frame is not our time frame. Look at every major Bible character, and they all have this time of proving that is normally measured in years, not in months, and sometimes measured in decades, not in years. And yet they do great things for God. And we read their story, and because it's, you know, four pages... We we miss something there. It's it's lifetime, and, and that's important. It is, and that's and that's a that's a tension. I mean, I think we have to live with because you're you're constantly you're you're constantly striving to reach that place or whatever. And and maybe that's that can be that can cause stress. I think I think that causes young people stress, especially young ministers, because we think. I've got to be Wayne Huntley, or I've got to be, you know, Jeff Arnold. And kind of like you said, you know, right out of the bat, we think we need to be that when, you know. They weren't that ready. <laughs> no, uh, you, you know, if, if, if you talk to those guys, uh, I mean, Jeff Arnold started out doing magic shows mm -hmm. and ministry for kids. Wayne Huntley uh, started out just preaching and helping anywhere he could lay his hand on, you know. And... Um, and, and he was a church planner, of course, that is hardly uh, the height of glory. That's hard work. And, um, you know, so people, and, and that's the thing. Human beings always look at everybody else's uh, best day and compare it to their worst yeah. day. They look at everybody's uh, best gift and compare it to their worst failing. Or they look at somebody else who's, you know, 40 years ahead of them in ministry and compare it to themselves right now. And, and that's, that's very harmful uh, to, to us in ministry. B because really, if you miss all those formative experiences, you miss everything. It's not just that you miss some things. But, but I, I read a book about um, associate pastors, um, and uh, it talked about these tensions to manage. And one of the tensions, they called it the deep, wide tension. That sometimes the senior pastor, because he has 
certain key responsibilities. He gets to go deep. He gets to study and be the, the brilliant preacher on Sunday or whatever. And, and usually an assistant pastor uh, in a supportive role, they have to go wide. They're dealing with like 14 different areas of responsibility mm-hmm. uh, and whatever. So that's a tension to manage. And another tension that, that I think ties into what you just said is uh, in this book, the contentment dreaming tension that, um, you know, I have to be content with where God's got me now while I don't lose my dreams for the future. And that's Joseph. Uh, I've got a friend named Dwayne McCarty in, uh, in Ottawa, Ontario. And Dwayne did this brilliant thing just several years ago about Joseph. And, and he said, look at Joseph's life. Joseph uh, has the greatest, grandest dreams of anybody in the scripture up till that point. He dreams that his father is going to be bound before him. His brothers are going to be bound before him. Is that dream true? Yes. But the time appointed is long. So Joseph ends up going backwards. He gets uh, sold into slavery. He gets thrown in a pit. He, he gets sold as a slave. He gets falsely accused. He gets thrown in prison. And, and, and he's, he's moving backwards from what he would think uh, from his dream. And, and yet he doesn't get bitter. He makes everybody else's dream come true. When he's in Potiphar's house, Potiphar doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't even have to think about anything but what the food he puts in his mouth. When he goes into the prison, it's the best-run prison in all of Egypt. And, and he gets promoted you know, above the other prisoners. He, he ends up in Pharaoh's house, and, and it literally makes Pharaoh's dream come true. Joseph manages the, the whole famine and the seven years and the seven years of plenty. He manages that. So Joseph spends his whole life for uh, we think about a decade and a half to two decades, we're not sure. He spends that period of time making everybody else's dream come true, never realizing that while he thought he was stepping backwards, 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 because he's going away from family, he's going away from home, he's going away from everything familiar, but while he, he thinks he's going backwards, God is backing him into the place where he wants him to be, and after he's been so faithful to make everybody else's dream come true, God says, okay, it's time for your dream. And making everybody else's dream come true was part of making your dream come true. And, and I think that happens with all of us. And, and, uh, and I know uh, personally that's happened with me. I, 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 you know, at the beginning I said, I've learned some great things from assisting other people. And I've also learned some things that, uh, you know, because everybody's human and people have insecurities, I've learned some things that I thought, God help me, I'm not going to do. And I'm sure right now, uh, Jack Lehman could tell you that he's learned some things to do and not to do from me. And that's just the way it goes, because we're all human and we're all on this journey and we're all trying to benefit the kingdom of God. What was the name of that book that you referenced earlier? Do you remember? Uh, one is called, uh, I think that one's called Leading from the Second Chair. And that's a, that's a good book. Uh, I can't remember the author of that, but it's called Leading from the Second Chair. The other, uh, I, I think, much better book is called Second in Command. And it's by uh, Dutch Sheets and his son-in-law, Chris Jackson. It's probably the best book I've ever read for uh, guys in a second role uh, because they write it together. So Dutch Sheets writes as kind of the voice of the senior pastor and Chris Jackson, who I think is his son-in-law, writes 
from from the second man perspective. But I mean, they go into a whole lot of scriptural stuff, uh, just very well written and very applicable and practical. Uh, and they, they use a lot of scriptural examples. Uh, the other book that, that I've mentioned so much that I, I know people must think I have a share in the publishing rights or something, but every second man needs to read A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. That is just the book because everybody in that second position is going to be hurt. Uh, everybody's going to be have a chance to be offended. Somebody's going to do something that actually exalts them and limits you or puts them forward and pushes you backward. That's just humanity. It happens. Some of them, they don't even know. They don't even realize. They don't intend it. But we have to deal with it. And, and here's the wacky part, is that God actually allows that and plans for it so that we learn uh, that when we get to, quote-unquote, the throne, uh, we're going to be a King David instead of a King Saul. And that book, just that's a must-read. It's a little tiny book. But anybody listening just needs to, like, just don't even question. Just go buy it. It's 10 bucks on Amazon. You can have it downloaded yeah. in 30 seconds and, and just read it. It, it yeah. just, uh, it's a profound little book. Absolutely. And we'll make those, uh, we'll put those links to those books in, our, in the show notes. Talk a little bit about some of the people that, that you feel like had the greatest impact in your life. Uh, well, first of all, my great-uncle Leonard Parent who received this uh, revelation of uh, Jesus' name, baptism, after he got the Holy Ghost. That was the year 1920. Uh, he was uh, a Bible teacher. The greatest compliment I ever get in my whole life is when I walk at a Bible study on a Wednesday night, and my mom, my mom and dad are part of our congregation, and when she comes up and says, you sounded like your Uncle Leonard, your great Uncle Leonard tonight, because he was a teacher. Um, he impacted me. Um, through that way. Uh, Allison Post, a great pioneer preacher and elder in our district, he was our missionary in Ceylon before it became Sri Lanka. Uh, he and his family. A great, great Bible teacher. And uh, he said things in, in class. He was self-educated. He, he, he was self-taught. He didn't have the privilege of going through all of even public school. But, but he, was, he was a brilliant guy, and he said things that I still teach and, and still stick with me. But more than that, uh, looking at a guy that, with one finger typing, did a little uh, commentary on Leviticus and, and whatever, he impacted me. Uh, of course, the pastors that I've assisted have impacted me. But I've assisted pastors and been in churches where the pastors actually ended up uh, leaving truth, walking away. Uh, from our particular fellowship, but not only that, walking away from doctrinal principles that I hold very dear. And I, I learned some things uh, from, from those guys. Um, the, um, you know, sometimes you learn by watching people and saying, I would never want to do that. But sometimes it's even worse than that. Uh, you learn because you're the, you bear the brunt of what they did and you have to struggle through it. Uh, I, I got fired from the first job I ever had as an assistant pastor, which is kind of unique. That's probably unique. Uh, the, 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 there were no public reasons. In fact, I still attended that church after I got fired. I was working at the Bible school. Uh, saints would come to me every week begging me, why did you leave us? You know, come back. We need you. Uh, and I, I, I never answered them. I just never said 
why, you know, well, hey, I get fired. <laughs> uh, the the uh, So there were no public reasons. The reasons, if anybody had asked privately, uh, oh my goodness, uh, I, it were, I don't even know what they would be. But the real reason was that we were going two very different directions doctrinally. And the best decision that I ever made as a young minister, and I learned it through that very traumatic experience, I never lifted my hand against him. I could have. I'm pastoring that church now. He uh, left our fellowship. He split the church. He went across town. Um, you know, I'm pastoring there now. Time has proven that I was right doctrinally. Time has proven that I was right ethically. Uh, time has proven that. But thank God that it was time that proved that. Mm -hmm. Because if, it, as a young man, I had lifted up my hand against him, instead of building something in me, it would have destroyed something in me. And the best decision I ever made as a young minister was to do what was right when, when wrong was done to me. Uh, oh my goodness. And so for years, nobody in our church, even when I came back to the church as senior pastor years later after there'd been a split and a problem and whatever, our saints did not know that any of that had happened. Um, but that, that formed something in me. Um, and, and, and so I, I guess, you know, to kind of try to uh, summarize or draw something of that, I think uh, I've always been drawn to Bible teachers. Um, we, we need preachers and teachers. Um, Brother Morell Cornwell says uh, that uh, teaching is uh, instruction of God's Word where preaching is declaration of God's word. And so I, I say preaching is the reach of the church, teaching is the strength of the church, and we need both. And I was always drawn to the teaching side of that. And so I think if you went back through people that have impacted me, they would have leaned toward teaching ministry pretty much. And um, that's, that's just kind of where, I don't know if I answered that yeah. very well, but that's kind of where my head is with, mm. with, with who's impacted me. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges you face as a young minister. And you've already talked, you know, about your assistant pastor roles and some of these roles as a young minister. Uh, is there anything else, anything that, that comes to your mind as far as challenges uh, first starting out and how you kind of work through those challenges? Um, I think you've always got to work through the challenges of ego. Everybody has ego. Um, we always think the other guy has this raging big ego and our ego is very humble and godly and <laughs> submitted and whatever. Uh, you know, but, but everybody has to deal with ego. Um, I, as, as far as starting out and problems starting out, I, I think one thing that every young man faces, and the first time they're going to face it is when they feel this call or this push uh, to do something for God. And that's going to be the submission test. Because almost invariably, I don't know what the stats are, I would guess it's somewhere like 99% that they're going to feel it and their pastor that they're submitted to, or they say they're submitted to, he's going to say, uh-uh, don't feel it, not yet, don't go. And that is a bigger test than what they realize. Because that's the test of submission and loyalty and patience and growth and development, and it's all right there in one word, no. 
So I'm very fond of saying a couple things. Uh, submission is your mission sub under somebody else's mission. Uh, if you can't submit your burning desire to do something for God to somebody else's mission and desire to do something for God, you're, you're headed for shipwreck almost out of the gate because um, you will never get that later. You've got to get that early. The other thing that that's, to me was a profound statement uh, when I came across it a few years back, you cannot submit when you agree. When you agree with somebody, that's just agreement. Uh, agreement's powerful. Scripture tells us that. But it's not anywhere near as powerful as submission. And, and so unless you disagree with somebody, you can't prove that you're submitted. So young men all the time say, well, I, uh, I'm submitted to him, but, but now I disagree with him. So, uh, and they would never say it in those words. They're smarter than that, but that's what's happening. Uh, I've heard Brother Tenney uh, say, uh, both in private and in public and on social media, uh, <laughs> say, you know, well, yeah, you were all submitted to me until I disagreed or until I gave you some instruction or until I told you something you didn't want to hear. And now we figured out that you you weren't my, I wasn't your pastor, you weren't submitted, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's the big first lesson that, that young guys learn. And that is a test of ego. Um, you know, another test of ego early on, and social media is killing us on this one, and it's not just young guys. It's guys that surprise me. Uh, social media is killing us here. Uh, somebody wrote something not too long ago and said, you know, if you were in a crowded restaurant with hundreds of diners and somebody uh, said to you, um, Jacob, you're an awesome preacher. That was an incredible sermon. You would not stand up on the chair and say, excuse me, could I have your attention? This man just said that I preached an awesome sermon last night. But that's what we do sometimes on social media. We're retweeting compliments. We're retweeting everybody bragging about our ministry and whatever. I, I, I struggle with that. Um, and and I, I steer clear of that like the plague. And people are very kind, but, 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 but with social media, every sermon is the best, most awesome, most life-changing sermon I've ever heard. Until tomorrow night. Uh, that was the best camp meeting we've ever had. That is the most incredible anointed conference. It's blown the roof off. There's never been a conference like that until next week. And, and, and so everything's the most awesome and everybody's the best. And another test of ego, especially for young men, is you can't start to believe your own press releases. You can't start to, to, to really think, well, uh, hey, I've got this together, this ministry thing. There, there has to be something I was... Uh, I'm in a series on Romans at home right now, and, and, and I, I've been studying Romans for just like forever. And, and this uh, statement, you know, somebody was, was writing about that and said, uh, some particular verse in Romans, and they said, until you um, feel your own unholiness, you're really not very holy. And until you feel your own ungodliness, you're, you're not very godly. And, and I think that's a trap for young guys uh, to, uh, it's, it's also a test of ego. And almost everything in ministry is a test of ego. Are you a servant or are you uh, a lord over God's heritage? Are you submitted 
Or are you a free agent that chooses what you want to do, but you use other people to kind of be a camouflage for that? You know, he's my pastor, he's my elder, he's my bishop, he's my superintendent, until I want to do something else. And we've, we've all seen the carnage and the casualties of people that uh, headed off into really wacky areas doctrinally. They left our lifestyle convictions. Uh, they left biblical principles and biblical doctrine, all because for most of them, there was nobody that they really submitted to. They talk about submission. And, and one of the craziest trends among uh, young ministers today is this business of, I've got a board of directors, or I've got a group of elders, or I've got this accountability group. And it's all people their own age. And, and usually, if you watch those guys, they choose people who are kind of a little bit either in awe of them or envious of them or want to be like them already. There's no accountability there. That's that's like choosing uh, the Mickey Mouse fan club to choose, to keep Mickey in line. It's not it's not going to have any impact. So so I think a lot of these early tests are are ego tests because until God breaks you and until God humbles you and until God can trust you, it, it, it's so much performance and so little ministry. Uh, ministry is not about platforms, pulpits, microphones, camp meetings, conferences, speaking slots. Ministry is about being a servant. And uh, and I think in this era where everybody's their own little self-made celebrity on Twitter, I think we face, it's not that that's never been in human nature before, but we face that in, in worse proportions than ever before. And um, so, you know, I, I think those early tests for young ministers... Uh, certainly one would, would be submission, uh, and the other, which is very closely tied to it, would be uh, humility. And, uh, and you are going to have the chance. Jesus said it is impossible, but that offenses should come. So people being offended is a sign of the times. Just as much as earthquakes or wars or famines, uh, many will be offended. Many will lose their first love. And, and I think when we go through some of this bruising of the ego early in ministry and and and, and things happen that we don't like and I, I really think that's God uh, training us so that later when somebody does something that really stings and somebody does something that's really unethical and somebody does something that really hurts you or your family or people you love or they say something or they do something against your ministry um your reaction at that moment is critical. And your reaction will be trained over 25 years or 30 years or whatever. And so if you've never had any of those bumps early on, so I would encourage young ministers in particular to embrace the, the rough stuff, em, embrace that, um, and, and realize that you're going to learn more, really, through the, the, the bad uh, that people do than the good that people do. Hmm. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll shut up about this, but, but here's one statement that I think is, is very uh, critical here, and it's not original with me, of course, but uh, you know that you are a servant when you can be treated like a servant and not react. And I think that's the motto for all these support ministries because many times it's like, you know, they're naming the senior pastor all the time. 
the senior pastor, you would think that he was like the fourth person of a trinity. He's just kind of floating through the halls and everybody kowtows and, 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 and everybody honors him. And when people come to the church or when the church hosts a meeting, it's always him. You know, thank you to Brother Woodward because Brother Woodward opened this church to us. And Brother Woodward, Brother Woodward doesn't even know how to turn on the PA system. You know, but 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 he did it. He he turned on the lights and he cleaned the bathrooms and he but but it's more than that. It's it's all these supporting roles. You know, he didn't print every piece of literature and he didn't uh, you know, deal with all the problems on the staff earlier that week so that we could have this meeting without everything flying off the, the rails and 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 those ministries don't always get uh, mentioned like they should. But if you're treated like a servant and it doesn't even register, that's how you know that God, you haven't arrived, but God's making some good progress. You know, while you're, while you're talking about this, I, I think, I mean, I'm 32, but I think my younger years in ministry, you know, when I, as a teenager, I remember thinking, uh, looking on the platform at camp. You know, I was down front, I was shouting, mm-hmm. I was dancing. I remember seeing all these old guys and just thinking, man, you know, if they could just, if they would just have a passion, you know, to do something for God, you know, we could turn this camp upside down. <laughs> and now I'm, you know, I wouldn't say I'm, you know, an old guy, obviously by any means, but the, now that I am have been on the platform mm-hmm. and you can see it from the other side, you get a different perspective and you see how, you know, after... You know, I've been in ministry now for 10 years, full-time ministry, to know that it's not, you know, camp meeting's not the only, <laughs> yeah. it's not the, the the second coming, you know, it's, it's <laughs> but you know. Except we, on Twitter. Except on Twitter. Yeah, on except Twitter. On Twitter. Uh, you know, and another thing I was thinking of is, is as a young man in a, in a technology savvy I mean, we grew up with this. You know, right. my, my two-year-old's playing with my cell phone, okay? Yeah, exactly. I didn't get a cell phone until I was 22. Yeah. And, and I'm still ahead of the curve. So I have giftings and talents in areas that a lot of older guys, maybe 50 and up, don't have a clue about. Exactly. And it's, it's sometimes uh, can be a challenge, I think, for younger men that have better skills and technology or, or maybe even better education and more... Um, shall we say, information, or, yep. or I've been trained by so-and-so, or this and that, or I've read all these, but what, it, it's easy to to think, you know, and the, all the whole ego thing comes in there as well. Oh, I, know, I, mean, yeah, I know how to do this, I can, I think that is a challenge. Thank you for, for talking about that. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I'm jealous that you're 32, because that's 20 <laughs> years ago for me. Um, but yeah, I do have some thoughts on that, because that to me is... Um, that's a major issue in our fellowship. Uh, the, the whole succession issue of churches and elder ministers passing off the scene, younger ministers coming on, uh, that's a challenge for us. But even more than that is this whole succession of church leadership. Um, it is the case that younger people, young ministers, they know way more about our present culture, about technology, uh, they're also, in general, better educated, better trained, uh, more widely read, more widely studied. I mean, now they can go online, they can listen to services from all kinds of different meetings that maybe our elders didn't even ever have a chance to attend, and they couldn't, we didn't have technology to record all those meetings, you know, uh, back then. So, 
So I think they are better trained. And, and I, I think um, our, our older guys, and I'm 52, so I play that all day long either way. <laughs> to the elders, I'm too young to understand, and to the young guys, I'm too old to understand. I can work that any way you want, all day long. But, but the, the thing is that um, I think our older guys, they haven't always made room for younger guys to, to come along. And, um, and, and that's, that's a deal. Um, he must increase and I must decrease. That is the philosophy behind pastoral succession. And we are not distinguishing ourselves in general as a movement. I'm in contact with younger preachers just about every week of my life now who are in really frustrating successions. Uh, they've come in, they were promised the moon, it didn't materialize. Or they've been, you know, kind of raised up, groomed for a role, and when it gets right down to it, the older guy just can't find the wherewithal to let go. Um, sometimes that's financial fears, uh, but I think really more often than that, it's that the older guy has built his entire identity around his role in that church. And it's not usually the guy that has the biggest problem. It's usually his wife. Because when her husband is done in pastoral role, she's a non-entity in her mind, the senior pastor's wife. And, and so I think that's a real deal. So, so yes, young men often are frustrated because nobody's making room for them. And some of them have put their families on the line. They've, they've left homes and families and they've moved and they've gone somewhere to... To, you know, with a promise that you're going to be the guy, and then it drags on and on and on and on and on. And the churches typically go into some kind of decline or stalemate or plateau because that room's not being made. So, uh, Jacob, I'm an early adopter with that. Uh, we, we are already into our whole succession deal. I'm not going anywhere for the next uh, for foreseeable few years. Uh, I'm going to be in Fredericton, but... Day-to-day, uh, -day, Pastor Jack is the pastor there. Um, I, you know, make no bones about it. I go in and preach, and I, I, I feel like my role is to be his pastor, and my role is to help him lead that church. But as far as day-to-day -day decisions, and, and, and so I think it's important uh, for me to decrease locally. Uh, and, and, and people are afraid of that. It's like, well, yeah, but if I let this young guy come in, what am I going to do? And it's like... My goodness, if you make room for others, God will make room for you. And so I, th I think, you know, I, I could take out my 52-year-old perspective and look at the elders and say, come on, guys, we, we need to do better at this. And I really think we do. I think we're at a, a, a crucial crossroads in our movement on pastoral succession. However, that being said, because we're not talking to them in this podcast in general. Some of them <laughs> don't know how to listen to a podcast. <laughs> so, so in this podcast, here's what I would say. It's unjust, it's unfair, it's unfortunate, but God will use it. That's the deal. And, and we either believe that or we don't. Either we believe, uh, what is it, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. I, I meet a lot of apostolic people that they don't believe one syllable of that verse. They say they do, they quote it, they've got it pasted on their fridge. They don't believe that for a second because the minute anything happens that they perceive as bad or unfair, they are whining. Like it's just, and, and, and I, so I would say to the young ministers that if you're in that situation, 
Um, you know, God's looking at submission, uh, even when it's unfair. God's looking at loyalty, even when it's unfair and whatever. So that's not to put them in a box because there could be a situation that gets bad enough that they need to, to leave or they need to do something else or whatever. But never, ever, 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 ever lift up your hand against that leader that's over you because that doesn't say something about how bad a leader he is. That says something about how unsubmitted a leader you are. And so, you know, you may need to talk to uh, some other leaders somewhere that are seasoned and, and, and elders and wise and, and negotiate that situation through other counsel if you can't negotiate it locally. But, but under no circumstances, the best decision I ever made as a young minister, even with a guy that was going south doctrinally and ethically, uh, oh my goodness, the best decision I ever made was to not lift my hand against him. I could never have gone back to Fredericton and pastored that church if I had done that then, ever. It, it would never have worked. It would have fractured something in the people, between me and the people. It would have broken something in me. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I look back and, and I assisted there 10 years. I, I preached like a handful of times. I could count them on one hand in 10 years. And at the time, I remember thinking like, oh my goodness, what's wrong with me? Like, mm. he goes on vacation and we just have like Joe Blow from anywhere come through and, and, and take our services. And the church is just like dying uh, you know, it's just whoever happened to be on vacation in Fredericton. You know, hey, come preach. Pastors away. It was terrible. And as the assistant pastors, we're all scrambling. We're trying to have church, and the church is just not. It's just not happening. And then two weeks later, he'd come sailing in with his white cowboy hat on, and like a pastor's home. It was awesome for him. It was great for his ego. Um, and and years later, I look back at that. At the time, I thought, what's wrong with us? We must be deficient that he never gets us to preach or he never lets us lead or, or, or he sends one of us into the lion's den with like, you know, trembling hands to tell this problematic saint, this is what you have to do. And they bite our head off and then he sympathizes with them. And, and, uh, and, and so at the time, I thought, what's wrong with me? And then years later, I look back at that, Jacob, and I say, that was an insecure leader. And you can learn some wonderful things from an insecure leader. You really, really can. Um, you can learn some things when your top leader, uh, for lack of a better term, is not maybe making room for you. You can still learn some really, really valuable things. Because again, back to your little 90-year-old deal, uh, we're on a long track here. The Bible tells us, without any controversy, that the whole goal... Uh, for our lives is to be conformed into the image of Christ. You can do that and never stand in a pulpit. Saints do it all the time. So, so ministry is not about which pulpit you get to or which meeting you get to preach. Ministry is about what God's doing inside of you. And um, that can be that can be massive. You know, like that can be a lifetime of, of learning. And um, I, I think it's really important to negotiate it well on the front end because by the time you get to the other end, you can't recoup some of those things. If you spent a lifetime being bitter at somebody that didn't give you your opportunity, 
you, you can repent and you can be saved and God can use you, but you never get back that valuable training uh, opportunity. You never get back those years that you spent being frustrated that your buddy got this church and you didn't get a church and whatever. You can eat your whole life up doing that. And you don't get to recover from that at the far end. You can only recover from that if you let God help you now. And that's really important for young guys, I think. So talk about your passion. You know, you talked about teaching ministry, but but maybe overall, what would you say is your passion that, that keeps you going, that keeps you moving in ministry and, and has kept you, you know, all these years? What would you say that is? Uh, missions is, is my big passion. Um, a lot of the stuff that I've been privileged to do in missions uh, is teaching and training. And if you talk to our missionaries, they love crusades and they love big meetings and all that because those are exciting and they, they give a church a profile, even a national church. But if you talk to our missionaries... It's our Bible schools, it's our training seminars, it's teaching the teachers that, that stay behind in the nation and teach others that really push the work forward. And so that's really a big passion of mine. So that comes through in missions. I love to do that overseas, but it also comes through here in North America. Um, I hate to keep referring kind of backwards, but when... That, that always has been like a bent of mine to, to, to be a teacher. And uh, I remember, just like it was yesterday, you know, uh, getting out of Bible school and I was an assistant. And back then I was doing music, which is really funny now because I can't play any of the new songs or any of the chord structures today. But back then, you know, I was actually maybe uh, halfway good for the era, you know, back in the 1900s or whatever that was. But, Hallelujah. Um, I remember getting these calls from, from one, one guy in particular that I had gone to Bible school with. How much are you preaching? How much are you preaching? How much are you preaching? And the answer was always, I'm not. <laughs> um, I, I, I didn't get to preach. The, the pastor I was with, he didn't think that we were good enough to preach or whatever. And, uh, but that drove me into books and study for the right reason. Uh, it wasn't just to churn out a sermon, it was actually to learn things. And uh, so that's a real passion of mine. When we finished the transition in Fredericton, uh, New Brunswick, uh, uh, Bishop is a Bible word. I, I like to see us use that. I think it's healthy because it's a Bible word. But it's a little foreign to our Canadian culture because of the uh, Catholic Church and the bishop and whatever. And so um, I don't think that that's what will call me when we transition. I think I'm going to become our missions pastor. And Pastor Jack will move into the lead pastor role. I'll still be his pastor, but I'll be our missions pastor, which essentially means I'll do exactly what I'm doing now, which is my passion. And, and if you were to sum it up, it would be missions, it would be teaching, and incidentally, it would also be young ministers. Uh, because I, I don't know... Uh, why I think there's a great openness in our young ministers today wanting to be taught and trained and, and dialogue about things and there is not a week goes by in my life ever that I don't have texts and emails and calls from young ministers who are asking questions and that's just because they're so open to learn and I think that's healthy so so that's kind of my my passion that's that's what I that's what I love to do just kind of breaking open the word of God and and, and letting light come on for people, uh, I, 
that that's my passion. On the local scene, uh, of course, our passion as a local church is people, uh, but that's that's not. I tell people there's a difference between the role of a pastor, which is a God call thing, and the gifting of a pastor, which is a God given thing. And I, I've got the role of pastor in Fredericton, uh, and I think that's a God timing thing. Uh, I really think that was the will of God. But I don't have the gifting of a pastor. My giftings are different than that. Uh, Jack has the gifting of a pastor. He bleeds pastor all over everybody. He bleeds compassion. I tell people, you know, if you want to talk to... We, we do have a nice pastor. He's in the next office. <laughs> I do have compassion. I hired him. His name is Jack. Uh, you know, that's not my gifting. Everybody has to find your sweet spot of gifting. And, and it doesn't absolve me from working with people. That's not what I mean. And it doesn't absolve him from applying himself to study the Word of God just because he's got great people gifts and people skills. But you have to find your sweet spot. And so, so that's kind of what makes me tick and, 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 and what drives me is this whole deal. I, I love to teach. And whether that be teaching at a conference somewhere or whether that be just explaining the Bible one-on-one -on -one to somebody, uh, when I do home Bible studies, they're an absolute mess because I, I never stay with a chart. I, I like blank paper and I scribble and draw and do arrows and, and whatever. And by the end of it, it's just a total mess. And so, you know, I always joke, you know, you can have this, sell it later, you know, when I'm famous, I'll autograph it, whatever. But but I love to, to, to watch somebody's uh, eyes light up when they see how Scripture relates. And, and uh, this has nothing to do with the podcast probably, but I'll throw it in here. I, I think back to the preaching and teaching thing. Preaching to me is like uh, a snapshot. You take a picture. It's a scripture. It's a word. It's a sermon. It's a principle. It's a topic. It's a character. And we take a picture. We hold the picture up and we learn something about it. That's preaching. Preaching declares truth and you have to decide what you're going to do that minute with that sermon. Teaching's different. Teaching's like a video camera. It backs up and it pans around and it, it, it zooms over here to Revelation and it zooms back over there to Exodus and it zooms in here to the Gospel of Matthew and it zooms, you know, that that's teaching. And and so it takes longer. It's a different kind of perspective. It it goes uh, into the, the the wide look and the motion look on the Word of God. And that's um, that's something I love to do. And uh, so, so that's kind of what makes me tick. I get really excited at a trend in our, our movement now. I get calls and people will say, I'd like to do a teaching revival. I never heard about that when I was growing up. You know, the, the, the guys that used to call me and say, how much are you preaching? How much are you preaching? Well, they're not preaching now. Not very much at all. And, and uh, I, like, I, I just think it's, it's one of those deals where being patient and waiting for your own gift to develop. And and I never quote that verse, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men because that verse in Proverbs is talking about bribery. Check it out. But, but in the New Testament, it does say, stir up the gift that's in you and don't neglect the gift that is in you. And I think those are really important things. Everybody's got a gift. Everybody's got something they can contribute. But when you ask about passion, that immediately comes to mind. It's not that I'm not passionate about prayer and evangelism and holiness and blah, 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 everything mm -hmm. else. But everybody's got, because we're a body, everybody's got this gift that God just puts in you and it's like 
that's what you get all ramped up to do, and that's what you wake up thinking about. And, and, and for me, that, that's kind of uh, teaching. But more than teaching, it's, it's like, uh, let's strengthen everything. Let's, let's strengthen the missionaries. Let's strengthen the nationals in this country. Let's, let's record resources. Let's get this to China. Let's, let's get this to wherever. And, and God's really privileged me to be part of a little bit of that, and I'm so grateful. That's awesome. Uh, so, how do you prepare for sermons? Uh, <laughs> I hate that question. <laughs> I, I, I get asked that question every once in a while. I hate that question because it's probably different every time. Uh, and but 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 basically, two things always come to mind. Uh, and this probably is is the teacher part of me. Uh, Wayne Huntley said to me one time. I was there doing a meeting for him. And we were standing in his office, and he said. Man, sometimes I can get like six sermons out of one word. And I said, I hate you, Brother Huntley. Because like I never, like six verses, maybe I might get one word of a sermon. Um, but, but two things for me. One is trying to go wide on Scripture uh, to get the context of Scripture. I feel like we have a lot of really, and, 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 and this you just have to take this, I'll just be transparent here, because this is not a critique, it's not an arrogant statement that I think I'm doing it right, but but my observation over 30 years, and listening to people's comments is, sometimes I think we do a real shoddy job of actually explaining the scripture to people. We take a, a, a little concept, and we, we push it, and people come out knowing kind of what we said, but they have no, we got to remember, people have very, a little biblical frame of reference anymore. And it helps people. We think it's a waste of time. It helps people when you say, this is what was going on in this chapter. And this is why Isaiah is so ramped up about this. And this is why Jeremiah is so angry. And this is why Paul is so frustrated with the Galatians. And, and Because other than that, it's like it's all this disjointed, disconnected scripture. And so one of the things that I love to do, and of course, commentaries and and Bible dictionaries and and just decent books uh, on on certain subjects. They, they they set that for you. And the other thing that I try to do in that regard is I really try to read everything Jewish I can get my hands on, because the Jews lived that world when Jesus walked here. They lived that world of the Old Testament. They lived that world of the prophets. And there are things that you can learn from reading some of their stuff that you just, it, it's nowhere else. And so I, I try to, first of all, look at the wide look of Scripture, and I try to say, okay, what's going on here? Uh, because if you don't have that, you, you can come up with some really fanciful notions that have no, uh, no root in reality. But the other thing is, people, although they may get what you preach, even if you preach it perfectly, they don't understand it because they haven't connected the dots. And then once I go wide on Scripture, I try to think deep. And for, for me, deep, deep is a, <laughs> that's a relative term because I'm not very deep. But, but deep, I, I think of that as when I read through Scripture, uh, I, I, I want to look at every word that stands out to me, every word I don't understand, every phrase that doesn't quite make sense. And I want to wrestle with the meaning of those words uh, a little bit with commentaries and whatever, but I like to look at the original structure of words and, 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 and what 
what the Greek is and what the Hebrew is. And we sometimes slam that, you know. Ah, the Greek, and I don't care about the Greek. <laughs> but, but the Bible was written <laughs> to yeah. us in Greek and in Hebrew. So that's important to me. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. So I have to be careful there. And so does everybody else that's not a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar. You, you can't just kind of slam words together. You know, uh, the, the example I use all the time is... Uh, uh, hot dog. Well, that comes from two root words, hot and dog. And so hot means very, very warm, and dog means canine. So a hot dog is a warm canine. You can't just take words out of Scripture and, and whatever. But but what you can do is you can get sources that you trust. And uh, Rick Warren, I think, was said this. I thought it was funny and good. He said, if you see anything in the Bible that nobody's ever seen in 2,000 years of church history, you're wrong. Uh, and I think that bears, you know, I, I, I get some people that, you know, every once in a while they run some idea by me, even young preachers. And it's like, really, you think that's what that means? And, uh, you know, s just being seasoned and, and listening and studying. So I would say to prepare for a sermon, go wide, get your context, go deep, look at your words, look at, look at uh, you know, any word that stands out to you. And then when I write a sermon out, I made myself into a manuscript preacher several years ago. I don't always stick with the manuscript. Sometimes it's a travesty what you end up preaching, you know, compared to what was actually in your notes. But I still do a manuscript. And the reason I do, and, and really only, only uh, a couple of reasons, your introduction to a sermon is, is, is important. You can lose people almost immediately in a sermon. And I found that I was just kind of flying around the field for a long time on introductions. And so one of the reasons I started writing everything down was to have a crystal clear and hopefully powerful introduction to get me into that. Because once you get in, you get in the flow of it or whatever. But you can waste a lot of, of people's mental energy in that first few minutes uh, if you don't know where you're going and if it's not definite. But the bigger reason, a much bigger reason, is that a manuscript sermon is of much more use to me and everybody else after I'm done with it. Uh, and, and you mentioned the website. Uh, I don't have a website with stuff on it because I think my stuff is so good. That's ridiculous. Uh, I just feel like we're all on the same team, and if somebody studied on uh, the name or holiness or the blood or the second coming or, or the tabernacle or whatever, and they've used it. Uh, you know, some preachers, you would think that their sermon was the secret sauce for Kentucky Fried Chicken or the, the secret recipe for Coca-Cola or whatever. You, Because they, it's just like they guard it. It's like nobody can have it. It's mine. And I don't feel that way at all. And, and, and uh, I did a conference. It was a, a foreign country uh, overseas. I did a conference uh, oh, a few years ago. And when I went in, this younger minister he uh, kind of sheepishly approached me and he said, um, you may have noticed the title of our conference. And I looked up and there's this big banner. He said, uh, well, the reason we got that title for this year's conference is because of the message I preached last year on the final night of the conference. And it just went over really big and they really loved it. But it's one of your messages. So I just wanted to warn you <laughs> not to preach that message here. It's like, great, that's awesome. So I get up the first night I had to preach and I said, I just want to tag into what Brother So-and-so did last year. That was so awesome. So let me tag into that. And, let's, and, and to me, that's something to, um, 
not not to be frustrated about or or like oh my goodness he got my sermon that was one of my good ones it's like you know what they're not yours if if they if they if there's nothing new under the sun and 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 if if this truth is so precious then to me if we can share something so i i started doing manuscripts because i really um i like to know how people think i don't get that opportunity as a 52 year old minister i've never ever had an older minister say, here's my notes. Here's how I do sermons. Uh, I know that because of people like you and podcasts and, and, and opportunities for, for dialogue now, we're starting to get into that. I never had that opportunity. I've never had anybody show me how they put a sermon together or let me read through their notes because their notes were top secret. It's like you can't, until the moment of the anointing, you can't see them. And so I just think that that's more useful after. And so um, everything that I've got, if somebody wants it, they're welcome to it. But I, I just, I feel like that makes me, um, that makes me a better preacher in a lot of ways to write out what I'm going to say. And I know some people will probably have convictions against notes. But to me, I just think in the terms of I'm writing this for some uh, pastor in Guatemala who may get this at their Bible school and somebody will have translated it into Spanish and he can teach this. So I want to explain it out. But it also helps crystallize what I'm thinking. A um, couple other things I'm preaching. Uh, I'm not a one-point preacher. Um, there's guys like Andy Stanley's written a book called Communicating for a Change. It's a very good book. And in it he stresses kind of his little model of preaching. Pastor Jack instinctively preaches like that. He's kind of a one-shot, one-point preacher. He'll just take a point and drive it home. He tells personal stories and whatever. I don't usually tell a lot of personal stories. I don't feel like my life is all that interesting. Uh, he'll tell a personal story and wrap everybody around his little finger. Uh, I think that's a real cool way to preach. It's just not my style. Um, but, but there's that. I've read stuff that I think is actually pretty intelligent about, um, you know, when you're preaching and you're laying out what God's given you in the material, put your strongest point, the point that's really going to connect or turn or impact people, put it at the end. Put your second strongest point at the beginning. Uh, and, and then let everything else build from one point to the other. I think that's pretty good advice. Uh, one thing I read recently that I, I caught myself instinctively doing, but I read it and it kind of validated it for me, was... We've got a tradition in Pentecost and many other churches where we get up and we read a text. So we might read 10 verses and people are almost tuned out. And it's not because they don't love the Bible. It's because they know as soon as you get done reading your text, you're then going to pray, close your Bible, and you're going to tell them the same thing in modern English. So they'll catch it the second time around. And I think we damage people's attention, especially in this world where we get everything by sound bites and little video clips. So I, I've caught myself doing this instinctively, and I like it. Instead of just reading this big passage of Scripture, build people's anticipation for the Scripture and, and build up to it. Tell them why uh, Paul is here, and tell them what's going on, and tell them how rough it is in the Roman Empire at this point, and tell them how Paul's in danger, and then tell them how these Judaizers are following him around, and they're thwarting everything he does, and, and they're just... And, and then read you know, how frustrated he is in Galatians 1. And don't read 25 verses. Read, like, two verses that are just like, and Paul says, and pow, and hit him. And I think it, 
Some people would say that's cheapening scripture because you're not reading as much scripture, but Jesus never did a sermon where he read a long passage and did expository preaching from the Old Testament. He told stories, he, he, he asked questions, he did whatever. And I think good preaching is, let, let's put this material together in a way that awakens people's interest. And so I really try to do that. I, I, I hope I'm hitting like a tithe uh, of, of, out of 100 sermons. I hope I'm hitting 10. But that's my motive. And that's my, that's, if there's a method, that's what it is. Okay, you mentioned uh, when, you, when you're studying, uh, using commentaries, and you mentioned the book by Anley Stanley, and just so we can get a better idea, what are some, like, if you had your top two commentaries, or, or you know, using lexicon, Strong's, do you have all that on a computer program, do you use the internet, what is, it, what is your... Okay, uh, I, I use anything concordance-wise I would do, I would do either in an app on my iPad if I'm on the fly, or, or uh, do it on my computer. Uh, so uh, I think I'm using Word Search uh, on my Mac. Uh, it, it seems to feel, uh, it kind of feels the most like a PC to me after being <laughs> a PC user for 25 years. Uh, it's not a perfect world, but, but I use that. Um, I, I, I'm constantly comparing uh, other translations of Scripture. Uh, the King James is the most accurate English translation we have bar None. The whole philosophy of translation is different than a lot of the stuff we've seen recently. But the King James is 403 years old this year. So I'm constantly uh, pulling up, you know, the Amplified, the uh, NIV, CEV, you know, whatever, CIA, RRS, whatever. <laughs> I'm always looking at something else because what I want is, okay, how does somebody else, even if it's a paraphrase, uh, even uh, Peterson's The Message mm-hmm. Uh, I'll read that every once in a while. Uh, sometimes it really irks me. and but, but here's what I find. A lot of times I'll read it and I'll say, the Bible doesn't say that. And then I'll go check it out and lo and behold, the Bible did say that, but I had missed it. And, and the way he, he said the phrase was so different that I got it. So, so to, to look at the, the gist of Scripture and the flow of Scripture, right now I'm in a study of Romans at home, and, and that's one hefty book. And, and the flow of Paul's thinking in there, uh, I, I may be a little dumb. I would never get that from reading the King James alone. I need to wrestle with that and study with it. You know, and, and I, so I'll read other translations, paraphrases, commentaries. Um, I, I don't use a whole lot of the big classic commentaries, uh, Adam Clark and, 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 and uh, Jameson Fawcett Brown and, 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 and uh, all of that business. I've got them. They're valuable. Um, and I may be using them when I'm, I don't realize I'm using it because of computer software and you go click on a commentary and it pulls up, you know, a big bunch of stuff. So I may be using them some that way. Um, I actually like uh, Warren Wearsby's Bible Exposition Commentary. Um, you can get that on CD-ROM now. Um, that was his B series of books that he did over several mm-hmm. years. And, of course, he's, he's Baptist or, or whatever, Southern Baptist. Uh, so, you know, there's going to be great differences on the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the, the, the Holy Ghost, and whatever. But I've got a, an apostolic filter, and, and, and most of your listeners, if not all of them do. So I can read that. What I like about Wearsby is 
that he has a real knack of dividing up and looking at it logically and giving a lot of good background and just the way he parses out the passage, you know, like, uh, you know, he'll divide a chapter into four, he'll divide it around the characters that are mentioned in a chapter or whatever. So it's not the deepest commentary in the world. It's kind of written in a casual style, but I actually like that because I'm not communicating to people who read commentaries. Mm-hmm. That's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, even as a teacher, I want to communicate the deep things of the Word of God, but I want to communicate them in such a way that people understand them. So I don't want to only read like these, you know, deep, deep, deep resources and then come off sounding like, you know, I'm Einstein's cousin. I, I, I can't do that because I will fly right over the heads of everybody. So, so I, like, I like him. Um, but a lot of times if I'm studying a book, I, I'll go on Amazon. I'll look at a whole bunch of uh, different books on that book of the Bible. I'll uh, read the reviews, then I'll kind of reference a bunch of friends, what have you read on this book, and I'll pick two or three books and kind of go through them all simultaneously and, 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 and see if they're all, where they all agree, you're usually safe. Mm-hmm. And, and you may find one guy that's got remarkable insight, but, but that's the kind of, of stuff I use. I, I'm not smart enough to read Greek or read Hebrew or parse verbs and whatever. I have to rely on other people that have done that work for me. And so in doing that, you have to be really careful of the internet. Uh, You know, if you see something on the internet and you can only find it once, it's false. (laughs) Um, So so that's that's kind of, um, you know, some of the resources that I would use to to look at a study. Uh, Again, I would come back to Jewish stuff. The Jewish Encyclopedia is online now. You can type in anything about Jewish uh, culture, religion, uh, history in the Jewish Encyclopedia and find articles on it. Um, There's also the Messianic Jewish movement. It has some errors. Uh, One of the errors that's starting to float around is, you know, you've got to be baptized in the the name of Yahshua. You can't be baptized in Jesus' name. That comes out of the Messianic Jewish community. But just because there's error there doesn't mean there's not some good stuff there. These are people that actually believe that Jesus is Lord. Uh, They actually believe that Jesus was divine. And so when they write about Jewish culture, uh, they write from that perspective. They can be helpful. I've got a message I do about the Talit, the Jewish prayer shawl. All of that came from a couple of books uh, written by people who would consider themselves Messianic Jews. Uh, And really, in those two books, I I don't remember anything that was like way, way off. Uh, But they were able to look at Jewish custom in a way that I never had because in the English Bible, I just miss it. Mm -hmm. Talit, except for one instance in Mark, uh, which we don't think is referring to a prayer shawl, but it is. Uh, Talit's not in the Bible because it's not an English word, uh, but it's everywhere. And, and I learned that from Jewish uh, writers. And so um, those, are, those things are very, very helpful. It's the teacher in me, I think, but anything that outlines Scripture so I can get it in my head, this is the plot of the book of Romans. This is the plot of the book of Galatians. This is the plot of Isaiah, the mini Bible, 66 chapters. That helps me even when I'm teaching. It might not even be in the notes, but it's there. I can I can see the book 
in my head uh, how it's laid out. That's really helpful to me. So just in closing, what advice uh, would you give to a young person that feels a desire to be involved in ministry? For somebody that wants to be involved in ministry, the, the, the real key thing is do whatever you can find to do and open your eyes to see that everything is a ministry. Uh, anything that pushes your church forward from janitorial services on up, uh, and as far as God looks at that, we haven't got God's final ruling on that. It might be janitorial services on down as far as his final judgment. We have no idea. Uh, everything's a ministry. If it's pushing your church forward, uh, it's a ministry. So look at your church that way. But the other thing is, anything that will lift any load off your pastor, go do that. Don't wait to be asked. Don't wait for somebody to hint or, or request or suggest. Look at what your pastor's doing and see if there's some little trivial thing you can take off his shoulders. Because even the connection time there is valuable. Um, if you can drive your pastor somewhere, if you can uh, help him clean up something or set up something or organize something, you, you'll learn from that. So, so that, that's not a... Young ministers usually hear something like that and think, yeah, he's, he must be a senior pastor. He needs some help. But that's where all of us that are in ministry and we've survived ministry for a few decades, that's where all of us started and got most of our formative training was was by doing that um, the other thing is you got to read if you're not going to read you're not going to lead you've got to read and again we we get everything in sound bites today and our news is in sound bites and video clips and youtube and whatever but you've got to have more than youtube theology you've got to have more than you know uh, Twitter doctrine. You, you've got to have um, something that is uh, foundational to you. And so I, I think it's important to read a bunch of different things. You need to read doctrinal books. Uh, thankfully, Brother Bernard, who in, in many ways has been our voice uh, in, in print uh, and in apologetics for years, in many ways, uh, he's now also the voice of our general superintendent. Uh, some of his books uh, are very, uh, not just scholarly, they're, this isn't even a word, they're lawyerly because he trained <laughs> for law, so he lays out arguments and it's very helpful and very good. And, and, and you think, well, uh, and this isn't a critique of Brother Bernard, who's brilliant, but you think, well, a book like that is, is, is a little dry. Uh, not if you ever get to use it. It's not. When you study the classic truths of the Word of God, the classic doctrines of the Pentecostal faith, what you're doing is you're putting arrows in your quiver for later when you're teaching, when you're preaching, when you're doing a Bible study, when you're witnessing, uh, when, when you're in any of those situations. Because, again, this whole looking at the big view and the structure and whatever, uh, that you actually have an understanding of the oneness, not just a few pet scriptures about the oneness, that you actually understand something about, uh, you know, uh, church history instead of just these generalities that you've heard over a pulpit, which probably uh, in the moment of preaching, you, you only got a little sliver of that, but you can actually study these things and then you know that you know that you know that this is true and, and this is right. Uh, and then I, I like to read inspirational books. Uh, you know, I, I don't read a ton of them because 
so many of them are so shallow. But every once in a while, I'll come across somebody that really challenges me. Um, and, and I like to read that kind of stuff. You've got to read if you're a young minister. Um, we already talked earlier in our interview today about submission. So very important. Uh, the, the whole humility thing is very important. And I, I guess uh, the other thing is to, and then this is part of submission, I'm sure, but to accept input into your life. If your pastor says, I don't think so, or that's not a good idea, uh, then, then, then that needs to be not just taken under advisement, that needs to be followed. Um, my pastor is, uh, he doesn't even live in the same country as me. He's a couple thousand miles away from me. And that's, uh, and he came, became my pastor later in, in life and in ministry because of conversations like this, Jacob, where I'm telling young ministers, you got to have a pastor, you got to have a pastor. <laughs> and it's finally like, I don't know how, you know, whenever it was, it's like, Woodward, you don't really technically have a pastor. Um, and it's not that I'm not submitted to leaders, uh, but, but, but because a couple of my pastors had actually walked away from truth and, and none of the pastors that I've ever worked with are in my local area. So I, I asked, uh, my pastor to serve in that role. And here's the deal. He is my pastor. If he called me right now and said, I don't want you to finish that meeting you're doing, that would be what happened. That would be what would happen. Uh, because you can't pull somebody into that role in your life and just do it fake. It would be like uh, doing a fake new birth. Yeah, I, pretending I got baptized. I really didn't. Nobody knows. Pretending I've got the Holy Ghost, it's it's pointless. It, it doesn't accomplish anything. And to have a pastor that can't actually speak a word of correction or limitation or redirection into your life is, is foolish. He's not really your pastor. And uh, I, I'm concerned that lay people understand that, not because I want to be a control freak as a pastor. I'm concerned that they understand it, but here is what I'm much more concerned about. I'm really concerned that every young minister that becomes a pastor has a pastor. Because if you've never had a pastor, how in the world can you actually do that well? So that would be a major piece of advice for young ministers. Don't just have a pastor in name. Get a pastor who you're actually in that relationship with that if he says no, it's no. It's not a negotiated no. Uh, some of the most precious things that happen to me, you know, I'll get a text from pastor and he'll say, he's busy, he's doing meetings and he's, he's preaching. And I'll get a text that says, just finish praying for you. Mm -hmm. Or get a text that says, you know, because we only get to see each other at, at meetings, you know, different places across the country. And going to see you this week or next week and we'll talk back and forth. And that is, that is precious to me. And, uh, and I think that's really, really important. Maybe one of the most important things, because your pastor will teach you submission. And if you do it right, your pastor will teach you humility. And if you do it right, your pastor will teach you a whole lot of things about servanthood and whatever. But if you don't do that one right, you're just kind of a law unto yourself and you're a lone ranger. And it never becomes, it'll become something. Uh, 
there's all kinds of people waiting to make you the anointed celebrity of the hour. It'll become something, but it will never become what it could have been without that role in your life. So I think that's probably uh, probably number one. What uh, what can young people do to get it connected with, with your ministry? And you talked about uh, a website that you have, your church, and it, give us that website and then any other information that you feel like would be uh, important to for a young person to be able to connect sure. with your ministry? Um, well, the website is just uh, RaymondWoodward.com. Uh, the church website is CapitalCommunity.ca for Canada. Uh, and uh, on my website, there's a bunch of sermon notes and series and whatever. And on the church website, it's it would be like our local church, but there's uh, video archives of sermons. There's also a CapitalCommunity.tv site where they're starting. That's not real old with us but they're starting to uh, do like kind of more high def uh, especially our series and, and whatever so it, pretty much anything that I'm doing would be on one of those three uh, websites and all my contact info is on RaymondWoodward.com uh, I'm always glad to help or talk to young ministers and it's not because I think I've got so much to uh, to give them, Jacob. It's just because I really believe in this generation of, of young ministers. As, as you alluded to uh, a little earlier, uh, they're definitely the best educated, definitely the best trained, uh, definitely the most technological. Um, they, they really have this incredible opportunity to impact the kingdom, the church, the world, uh, in what I feel are the, the last few closing years before the rapture of the church. And so any way I could ever be a help, I would consider that an honor to, uh, to, to chat with somebody. And uh, they're not going to hear anything new or real enlightening. They're going to hear the same old stuff because we all really know what we should be doing here. We all know we should be submitted. We all know we should be servants. We all know... But our culture wars against us because our culture tries to make ministry all about ego. And our culture tries to, to fixate us on celebrity. Um, but uh, and this has nothing to do with websites or contact me. But one more thing that comes to mind that I would say here is, you know, your personal life, um, that's way more important. Um, God is not very much concerned at all about what you, uh, what he does through you. He can do that through anybody. He's extremely concerned about what he does in you. And I think that's something that we can, we can miss, and it's a fatal flaw, that uh, I can be on the go and doing meetings and preaching and teaching and doing whatever preachers do. And if God's not doing anything in me, it doesn't matter what he's doing through me. Mm -hmm. Because if God can use a donkey, uh, he can use me. So that's not an issue. But, but what's he building in a young minister? And so uh, we need to get away from this idea that um, I can have a preaching ministry without a, a prayer ministry and a pulpit ministry without a personal ministry. And, and, and so to lock into those things, and I, ironically enough, some of the 
the greatest trials that young ministers face, some of the most unjust, unfair things that they encounter in their young ministry, in the serving years, in the second man years, in the support years, those are actually the things where God's trying to drive something deep in you and, and all the time we're looking ahead at, yeah, but how am I going to get to where God's doing this through me? And God's thinking, no, 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 I've got you right where I want you. I'm building something in you. And that's all that matters when this is all over. It's not going to matter what conferences you preached or what church you pastored or whatever. It's going to matter what God did in you. And that is the greatest gift that a young minister can give to themselves is to develop that personal inner life with God. Well, I'm wondering, uh, in closing, if you could just take a minute and just say a word of prayer uh, over that young person. Uh, maybe they're in that, that second position right now, and they're, they're um, feeling that tension, and, and maybe not. Maybe they're a pastor. We have several pastors that listen. Sure. Uh, but just, and maybe they're just starting out. Whatever, whatever they're at in, in, in this uh, journey, would you just pray over them? Absolutely. Right I'd be honored. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for this uh, chance to sit down and, and talk about your work, and in particular to talk about uh, young ministers especially. Jesus, I pray today that something that has been said, uh, discussed today, would be helpful to them and it would minister to them. Jesus, I pray especially for those that are in that second role. It's not second in your books. It's not second in your view but you have them there for a season, uh, perhaps for a lifetime. You have them there uh, in your plan and definitely in your purpose. So God, I pray for them. I pray that you'd grant them a special dimension of, of grace uh, in that role. I pray that you'd grant them favor with those that they're serving in the churches that they're serving. And most of all, God, for our young ministers who are in this era when society is turned upside down and culture is is being pulled asunder uh, there's such an assault on them there's an assault on their marriages there's an assault on their children there's an assault on their mind and i pray for the young ministers that will listen to this i, I pray god that you would minister to them and give them strength against the enemy strength in the battle uh, strength to overcome because we have to be this before we can do this. And, and I pray that you would uh, give somebody that's listening, I pray you'd give them that moment of clarity that they know they've got to get victory over that one personal thing. And uh, that's really a key to their public ministry. I pray for somebody else that, that is struggling, that maybe you, you would just give them that dimension of grace that they need when they're being treated unjustly, to, to not react, but to respond biblically and grow through it instead of getting uh, sidelined and offended by it. Jesus, I pray that you'd use all of us in your harvest field. I pray you'd use all of us as a team across the generations. I pray you'd use us in unity to get your work done in these final days. And we give you all the glory. Thank you for the privilege of being involved in ministry in any fashion, in any role. It is such an honor to serve you, Jesus. We love you and we worship you. And we ask your blessing on the people that are listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, Brother Woodward, uh, thank you so much for, for being with us today. It's been an honor to, uh, to have you join us for this interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. My privilege. A high honor. 
You've been listening to a ministry mentorship podcast with Jacob Tapia. Find out more about this resource by going to ministrymentorship.com. And if you'd like to connect with our guest or find links to any recommended resources, you can find that information in the show notes of this podcast. Uh, Go to ministrymentorship.com backslash podcast and look for episode 46. Also, you can help us gain visibility by liking our Facebook page and leaving us a comment or by rating our podcast on iTunes. And if you're interested in donating to this ministry, you can do so by going to ministrymentorship.com backslash donate. Your gift of any amount will help us continue our mission of connecting apostolic leaders with young people for ministry development. Thanks for listening, and God bless.